everybody, and welcome back to episode five. We're at five now. We're at number five. I am the world's greatest moderator. No, I can never have that. <laughs> I can never have that title. That's Jason Calacanis' title. I can never steal that. How are you, man? I'm going to pretend that we haven't just been working together for like 10 hours together. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm, You're right? I'm, yeah, I'm excited about the future at the moment. I think there's going to be... I'm seeing some incredible tech in the world. Yeah. And I feel like people are slowly waking up to the tech that already exists. Okay. Why do you feel like that particularly today? Because you have been very like thinking about like the philosophical future today. What's, what's been going on? What have you been seeing? Yeah. So... The language model world is moving really fast. Okay. And so I think it's easy for people to slip into what's the new shiny thing to play with. Yeah. And they're skipping over some of the most powerful tools humanity has ever had Mm -hmm. for the next most powerful tool humanity has ever had. Mm -hmm. If you gave someone like GPT-4 in the 60s, Mm. it would change the world overnight. Yeah, I mean, they would hang it. (laughs) (laughs) okay not the 60s put it on the moon in the 60s yeah yeah put it on the moon yeah but yeah and so i'm starting to see slightly more mature products and use cases for llms nice and it seems like even with our own internal work it seems that there are better ways to talk to llms than people would advise you to and people are figuring that out yeah and building some awesome stuff around them yeah i just my i i am so like i'm in a particular twitter has put me in a community Mm. like i am just getting ai content on my feed now it's like these are the top 10 and you've got the like ai twitter influencers emerging they're like here are the top 10 tools of the day it's like oh my god like chat gpt is just a drop in the infinite universe of ai (laughs) tools chat gpt is so yesterday (laughs) Yeah, this is um this is interesting. It's such a weird dynamic that's forming. Yeah. And we're playing around with with these tools and some of them are really quite like remarkable. But the thing is, everything is so remarkable now that you're just getting used to how you I feel like people are getting used to this new technology so quickly and they're kind of losing the time to actually appreciate it. Like AI art generation is like a ridiculously amazing thing. Yeah. But because there are now like, there's a bubbling AI art generation space with competitors, you've got Midjourney, you've got Playground, you've got all of these different things. People are just kind of, it's just become normal so quickly. And um, the new crazy thing is taking all of the attention for 15 minutes, something else comes out. You're right. People aren't taking the time to appreciate the technological innovation that's happening on a daily basis right now, Mm. which is super crazy. Yeah. And the other thing is that it takes a while for things to filter through in a meaningful way. So if you look at chat GPT, it's, it's the anomaly. It's not the, it's not like the norm for Mm -hmm. something that powerful to take off that quickly. I think actually most things that are powerful don't take off that quickly because people don't know how to use them. The difference with chat GPT is that it was super easy to use. You just talk to it. Mm-hmm. It might be that there are people that are better communicators with AI than others. That certainly seems to be true. Yeah. But then you've got things that are more complicated to use mm-hmm. that actually may be more powerful and more impactful in the long run. Like the one I can think of the top of my head is the music generators mm. that are much more complicated to use. You have to kind of know what you're looking for. Yeah. But the output is 
significantly more impactful. We're seeing that with this week with the music industry. Yeah, so we're going to get into all of the topics. That's actually one of the topics today is talking about what's been going on in AI music because like cool. socials have just run away with it. If you're new here, this is the GPT podcast where we talk about AI and basically the future of technology. Yeah. While we drink tea. It gets dark sometimes. Sometimes it gets dark. Sometimes it gets light. Sometimes it gets weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> today we have this, actually the same tea that we had last, um, yeah. that we had last week. And I'm going to make a point to say that it is the Pucker Radiance Tea by Pucker. The brand is Pucker. Somebody commented saying, oh, at least shout out the name of the tea that you're drinking. It's Pucker, guys. Like, we're not, we're not gatekeeping the tea. Not sponsored. Pucker, if you're out there listening yeah. to the GPT podcast, <laughs> yeah. send us some tea. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine if some, yeah. some comes out? Or any it? other tea company. Yeah. Oh, if you want to be on the GPT podcast and send you're an your up tea. and coming tea brand. Yeah. Just actually, if you just own some tea bags, yeah. just send <laughs> just, them. <laughs> yeah. Just wrap some stuff up in some cling film. And we'll... <laughs> We'll yeah. drink it. <laughs> yeah, just find our office and just lob it through the window. <laughs> we won't run any Don't do tests. that. We'll just drink the tea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the podcast and we talk about some crazy stuff. And today we've got quite a roster, quite a few things yeah. happening. It's Wednesday and things yeah. have really come a long way this week in the AI world. They have indeed. So... Do you have anything else to say before we dive into no, topic you number one? Go, go to the list. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Right. So the first thing that was really interesting, I think it dropped today, if not last night, maybe today, is hugging GPT. Hugging chat. Hugging chat. Sorry. Yeah. Hugging yeah. chat. So hugging chat is very, very interesting. This is the chat GPT competitor from hugging face. Sort of. Kind of. Yes. Yeah. What do you think of this? Yeah, so I've been following this project called Open Assistant for right. a long time since they announced it. Can you explain what Open Assistant is? Yeah, so um, we'll definitely put a link down below. Mm -hmm. So when ChatGPT came out, there were two groups of people. There were a group of people that were like, this is awesome, let's sign up and use it. And there was another group of people that were like, this is awesome, let's build an open source one so that you can train it to do a specific task but also it's a really nice thing for a community to form around. Mm -hmm. So this was spearheaded by um, a few different people, including Yannick. I have forgotten his last name. Um, YouTuber. We will link him down below. Yeah. Really awesome guy. He has his own AI podcast actually. And uh, he's got an awesome community. And so what they first set out to do was to build a data set that looked like the chat GPT data set. Um, but it was actually labeled correctly. And it was labeled by people from all over the world, not just a cheap labor workforce. And they really made a big point of this. Okay, so to, to, to wind back, so there's yeah. a YouTuber called Yannick. Yep. And he was like, right, I'm going to start a project that is basically an open source version of ChatGPT. And it's going to be called Open Assistant. And the first thing that he started to do was, with his community, create a data set to train a new model have this data set open and labeled correctly and, and that type of thing. And yeah. labeled ethically, not yeah. by using like uh, people in the Philippines maybe for super low pay. Right. But there, but there are some other reasons, like ethics is one thing. Okay. Which is a huge consideration, of course. But there are also questions of the quality of data. Right. So 
if you use one specific type of people, and it's unknown what OpenAI did, but but in theory, if you use one specific type of people to um, fine-tune the model, to, mm-hmm. to do you the reinforcement learning part, the model is going to become slightly biased in that direction, mm-hmm. or it's going to forget things. Um, for example, if in your training group of people, you don't have any doctors, they're going to be worse at answering medical questions. And so they're going to be worse at making the, the decision and training the, the system. If you go out to the open internet and you say, hey, here's a website, come and help us train. And you randomly generate questions and you get the humans to answer. And then you use those answers and you get another human to continue. You get these trees of like question answers. And they built this amazing system to collect this data set. They collected tons. Do you know the size? I don't know the size off the top of my head. But big amount. Big amount. Okay. It's still going on as well. You can, you can still join um, and do it. I did a few, I think. Nice. And yeah, it's a really nice thing. You, you don't have to do lots. There's no like minimum. Um, you just turn up and you start answering questions and helping build the data set. So that's, um, <clears throat> that's really interesting. Because, and that seems like the right approach to go about and have a, the, the most unbiased system that you possibly can. I, I do know like if you at all in the Twitter sphere of AI, like we both are, you've seen over the past couple of weeks, a bunch of people saying, ah, uh, ChatGPT writes a, a massive, amazing poem about Joe Biden, but it doesn't do the same for Trump. Uh, it has these kinds of views on, on X party and these, these differing views on another. And there was a large question as to like, okay, what are the biases of ChatGPT? Yeah. And there are clear biases. And so how was it trained? Who was it trained by? What's the overall agenda of, of ChatGPT? So was that one of, the mo- uh, one of the main motivations for creating Open Assistant to have like the most unbiased system possible? I don't think they were completely led by bias. Okay. I think they were more led about by accessibility and sort of democratizing AI. But the problem is every AI company says they're democratizing AI. Mm-hmm. It's just become a meme at this point. It's like we're democratizing AI behind our Stripe paywall. <laughs> so, <laughs> democratizing so like, okay. AI, but you have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll only accept a certain type of people. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so th- this is really interesting. They have been open from day one. What they also managed to do was to um, get sponsored compute to start fine-tuning existing large language models. From who? Uh, Hugging Face were one, I believe. Right. And they got sponsored credits from um, Weights and Biases for the tracking and the oh, analytics. Cool. And there was another big partner for the GPU stuff, but I can't okay. remember who it was. Maybe a cloud provider or something. Yeah. Uh, slightly less well-known. Okay. Um, but still really impressive. So they came together, they sponsored the project. And the first thing they did is they used the data set to fine tune a model called Pythia. Mm. So Pythia is a completely open, including commercial use model. And it was originally built by or trained by a company called Eleuther AI, mm-hmm. who were the people behind GPT Neo X and GPT J. So it's all one big family out there. Yeah. Um, Pythia was good, but it wasn't designed for this. It was designed as a research model to figure out how these models train. And so it wasn't like the right use case. It's also a little bit old, if I can say that in the AI world. So then they took the same data set, a little bit more cleaned, and they trained Llama with it. Right. 
So what is, let's, let's go into the weeds. Yeah. What's Llama? So Llama is a model that Meta AI research put out at mm-hmm. uh, the start of this year, I believe. And there are different sizes and it's open, but not for commercial use. Okay, so open for what? So sort of like research and education purposes? Yeah, or personal use. So right, okay. the thing is, because there are different sizes of this model, there are plenty of different versions that you can download and run on your machine locally, offline. Right. Which is really exciting. So if you want to run a little chat GPT system offline, you can with Llama, but you just can't monetize that. Yeah, okay. So they used Llama. So they were like, okay, Pythia, thank you very much, but not exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. We're going to use Llama. Um, so, where do they, so where do they go from that point to now launching Hugging Chat today? So I'll be honest, I'm not sure whether Hugging Chat was planned. Mm-hmm. There is already a UI around Open Assistant on their website. But Open Assistant is hosted on Hugging Face. So that doesn't make any sense if Llama is, uh, so, so I saw a tweet, we were talking about this earlier uh, today, which was Llama had a model that was open for commercial use. That's what I, I think I saw that on Twitter. I don't know if I actually saw it. Maybe it was passing on the train or something, hmm. but I don't understand if you're saying that Llama was, is not open for commercial use, only personal and research and education. How can Hugging Face create Hugging Chat on top of Llama? Okay. So there's probably two options here. Either it is now available for commercial use, and this is a change that's happened in the last few days that for some reason I have not seen. Right. Um, And so then if it's for research purposes, Hugging Face might be able to claim that they're not monetizing off of it, and so they're allowed to serve it to the community on a research basis. And with a little bit of risk, but maybe not much. Okay. They, they also could be making the bet that Meta wasn't planning on suing anyone. And that Meta strategically put it under a research license. Because at the start of the year, there were serious conversations as to whether any ChatGPT level model should be open sourced. Mm. The conversations change now because there's so many ChatGPT killers mm. popping up that it's not as an ethic, ethically difficult problem to talk about anymore. Um, right. And I know that the head of Meta's AI research uh, has already stated on Twitter he would love to have a commercial license for Llama. So I'm not sure whether that has actually happened now or mm. whether that will happen. So there's that. Um, or, or they are using it as, and claiming it's research. So, okay, so what's been coming out, I'm, I'm not actually uh, sure what's been coming out from Meta in the AI world. So I know they have publicly, mm. so they've, they've obviously got a very large AI division. They have released Llama. Also, a lot of people that are influential for Meta have come out and said that it would be a very smart idea of Meta go a lot further into AI. Chamath is a big um, mm. advocate of going further into AI. Brad Gerstner, I think, is the same, or he just maybe wants them to move away from the whole metaverse thing. Um, but he wrote that letter saying less metaverse, more efficiency. I think he may have mentioned AI, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's clear that stakeholders of Facebook want them to move further into AI. Have yeah. they done, thus far, have they done anything further than releasing Llama publicly? Yes. What have they been up to? 
So I'm out of the loop. Don't give Meta, previously Facebook AI, enough credit, in my opinion. Because of the whole social media ethics debate um, and appearing in front of Congress every five seconds, it seems that it's damaged even their research. But if you dig into the research that's been coming out of their labs, it's significant. So they've, they've done a lot really? around machine vision. They've just released um, a model that is very, very good at segmenting, at segmenting images and videos. So that means it can basically draw a line around every object in the image. Wow. It's very, very good if you want to create like a video editor or a mm-hmm. photo editor where you can just click on the microphone and remove it from the scene. Mm. Um, or maybe you want to count the amount of humans in a scene, you can use that tool to figure out the outline of each human and count them. Mm-hmm. So this has been um, very, very difficult to do because um, with machine vision, you're dividing each frame into a bunch of smaller segments. And some methods will have like a sliding window that looks across that frame. It's very hard to draw a line around everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard. You have to have so much knowledge. Mm-hmm. They've also done a bunch of work around depth perception. So, Interesting. Yeah, like, and, and this probably is off the back of their AR push, actually. Um, but I think Meta's very quickly realizing that the fastest route to the metaverse is AI. Okay, why is that? I think it's more conceivable that we will have photorealistic rendering that's powered by AI in the next five years than photorealistic rendering that's done in a traditional sense on a smartphone processor, on a headset. So I think there's a lot of shortcuts that might be able to be taken off the back of AI. They also must be using some machine learning in their headsets already for things mm-hmm. like hand tracking. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then you've got the exciting stuff like world building. Um, or populating worlds that don't have any humans in yet. One of the biggest criticisms for Meta's Horizon worlds mm. was no one was in there. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a social experience, but no one was in there, so it was boring. Right, so that cold start problem... Cold start problem. Biggest solution is AI. Yeah. Is AI. yeah, and Facebook AI, Meta AI, they've got a lot of open source work that is on Hugging Face that you mm. can download and use for mm. commercial use. A lot. So yeah, done I'm, a lot. I'm quite curious as to the, like, they haven't been trumpeting it. So the big players that have not been participating almost at all, it seems, at least in the public discourse yeah. um, around AI are Amazon, although it, they, you could argue that AWS is probably one of the biggest powerhouses because they're powering a lot of these, um, a lot of these AI companies, but Amazon hasn't really said anything significant um, Meta seems to have just released Llama. That that was popular in the in the sphere, but nothing much has actually come up and gained any traction. And they haven't released anything sort of consumer facing. And also, Apple has been dead silent. Yes. Like, where are these guys? And do you think, crucially, Apple? Do you think they're going to make a uh, a big announcement in AI, or do you think there's going to be some kind of like? much more improved Siri that can run locally on your, on your iPhone. Do you think anything's coming from them? Okay. So Apple have released, I saw they had announced the AI machine learning department had announced some research the other day. What is that called? Is that reality labs? No, that's meta. That's meta. Right. Yeah, that's meta. 
Um, I'm not sure what Apple will do. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether they may just sit out. I think they might be distracted with um, basically a developer mixed reality device this right. year. That's going to be the consumer play this year, I think. And <clears throat> this is interesting. I actually think that AI is probably going to propel us quite close to the metaverse quite quickly. And everyone is going to think that metaverse is dead until we're all wearing it on our faces. Right. It might be that. It might be that um, a lot of the other things we get distracted by are just automated. And so we have more time to game and that transitions mm-hmm. into metaverse very quickly. Okay, cool. Yeah. So let's bring it back to the original yeah. topic yeah. about hugging Oh, chat. I actually want to say so, something about meta. Okay, go quickly. on then. Right, so... Um, there is a guy called Jeffrey Hinton. Yeah. Jeffrey Hinton is the guy that kind of spearheaded this crazy research thing mm-hmm. for the last like 30 years called neural networks. Yes. Shout out to Jeffrey. He had two um, students. I may get some of this wrong, but he had two students or um, people that kind of worked under him and with him. Um, one of them was um, Elia Sutskova, mm-hmm. who is the head of research at OpenAI. And another one is Jan LeCun, mm-hmm. who invented backpropagation, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he is the head of head researcher at Meta AI. Interesting. So all roads lead to Jeffrey Hinton, but also um, interesting, like this world is not as big as you think it is. Yeah. So a lot of the people that were like the OGs of, of neural network yeah. research are currently at Meta. Meta, so Jeffrey Hinton, I believe, still works for Google. Okay. Um, obviously, a bunch of people are at OpenAI, and more seem to be moving towards OpenAI. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and so, so the big three at the moment, I would argue, are Meta, Google, and OpenAI. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? But yeah, the, there are really a handful of people that have brought about this new tech, mm-hmm. and they just are quietly hiding behind the logos of these big brands. But it's not yeah. that they're not planning on doing that. They're not doing that on purpose. They just have some incredible jobs. Yeah. These big companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So with coming back to the topic of hugging mm. chat. Yes. If you're sitting in open AI right now and you are running, you're the, you're the head of chat GPT. I think Mira might've created chat GPT. Not sure. Maybe she spearheaded that project, but Anyway, you're the team running ChatGPT and you see Hugging Chat come out. Are you worried? Are you not worried at all? Are you like, this is the beginning of, a, of the end? Or are you like, use, chat, use um, Hugging Chat. It's not anywhere near ChatGPT, so we're not worried. Nobody can take our secret source. What are your thoughts if think, you were in the OpenAI team? I think it really depends on time scale. So in the next few months, it's not, not a concern. In the next year... It may be more of a concern. And then in the short term, in the long term, probably not a concern. So the reason I don't think that in the next few months it's a concern is because the current model that powers hugging chat is not as good, but it is going to get better. And this is not speculation. This is fact. Open Assistant aren't done yet. They haven't even done RLHF yet. Right. And so close. they've just fine-tuned. No humans have looked at it. Correct. They've right. just taken a similar a data set that looks similar to the output of ChatGPT mm-hmm. that they've collected themselves and they've given that to an existing model and fine-tuned it. And okay. now they're starting RLHF and there's another pocket of the community that's focused on 
data quality and the team's huge compared to OpenAI. Mm -hmm. If you look at OpenAI, it's like 300 people the last time they did a headcount publicly. Mm -hmm. This open assistant community is thousands of people Mm -hmm. and a Discord server full of amazing people constantly thinking about how they can improve it. So that's one community, but hugging chat seems to be positioned to be able to swap out the model and hugging face have another trick up their sleeve, which is they are the GitHub of AI models. They are Mm. the place where everyone uploads their models that are open source. So all they have to do is pick the top trending chat GBT like model and put it into hugging chat whenever they want, and they can swap it out whenever they want. So as a service, it may continue to improve at the same pace as the open source community. Mm -hmm. But whether it's a product or whether it's a bit of a flex is a little bit unclear at this moment. Yeah, so I um, used Hugging Chat today and I went onto the website and they had like three starter. I I was actually, I I didn't know what to search initially or what to ask, but they had three starter um, questions that you could just click on and, and start a conversation just to test out the model. And one of their suggestions of how you start the conversation was um, create uh, a snake game in Python. So I clicked on that and I created a snake game in Python and it was, it was, it looked correct. It was, it was uh, with Pygame. Hmm. It looked correct, copied and pasted it into uh, VS Code, tried to run it and it didn't run. There were issues. And so I basically, I was like, okay, I'm not going to look through anything. I just want to take the error message put it back, give it back to hugging chat, get the fix, keep putting it back in. And eventually I did get a frame nice. <laughs> and then it, and then it stopped. Um, but it couldn't get the snake game running. And that was worrying because that was one of the example projects or the example queries that they had on their homepage. So mm. knowing what we know about AI and how fast things move and how quickly things change and the fact that they can swap out the model and the model itself gets better. Is that just like a one bad example and it's about to be a whole lot better? Or is this like, ah, ChatGPT is still the winner? Because you could run the, you could ask the same question to GPT-4 and you're playing Snake. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. yeah. So I think hugging chat for now is probably not as good as ChatGPT. I haven't actually tried hugging face a whole lot. I spent a couple of minutes talking to it. Mm. And to clarify, um, it's not as good as ChatGPT using 3.5 Turbo. Yes, not even 4 Turbo. But the thing is, you know, when stable LM is a little bit more stable and whoever else, I think we'll see something from Meta that's completely open source this year. And it is comparable to, to 3.5 Turbo. Interesting. Yeah, fully. By Christmas, 3.5 Turbo will probably be on the way out. That's my prediction. Okay. Interesting. Right. That, uh, that, was, that, was a good, uh, that was a good back and forth. So do you have another topic? Because I have another one. Okay. And I on. think you have the same topic as well, because we yeah. were talking about this earlier. Music, AI music. This, I've yeah. actually tweeted, I think twice about this, um, this week. AI music has been going crazy. Even, like, even in the mainstream, even on TikTok, on Twitter, it's been going crazy. So I think what started this like crazy AI music hype is somebody called Ghostwriter, who's like a music producer, created a song um, featuring Drake and The Weeknd. Mm. Now for a five second backstory, those two were super close. And then Drake tried, like those two humans were super close back in like 2012, 2013 or whatever. And Drake tried to sign The Weeknd to his label 
Um, and The weekend said, no offense, but I think I can actually be bigger than you. And Drake is known for, <coughs> Drake is known for the artists that he signs. He doesn't really promote them enough. He kind of uses them for his own music. And so there was a little bit of beef. And so Drake and The Weeknd haven't made music together uh, recently, really. And uh, they, they've both spoken pub publicly about it. We're still good friends, but there is just a little bit of mm. haziness there. So this uh, music producer called Ghostwriter created a song entirely using AI or, or using Drake's and, and The Weeknd's voice with AI, wrote the verses and simulated the voice. And this song was amazing. Like, yeah, it took the world by storm. He created, he's, he's a, it, it was a cool video because he's wearing a sheet over his head. You don't know who Ghostwriter is. It's like a, it's like a cool thing. Um, and he pushed this song out and it went super massively viral on TikTok. Mm. And everybody started to play it. And then you started to see it come onto Spotify. You started to see it come onto SoundCloud. It just went everywhere. It, it even went on YouTube. And then... It got taken down from everywhere. Spotify took it down. Uh, I think uh, I think SoundCloud still has it because SoundCloud is like super open and happy with with these kind of projects. I think it also got taken down from TikTok or Ghostwriter got banned from TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, and this has caused like a lot of like a lot of excitement from listeners of music, just normal people, but a lot of backlash it seems from mm -hmm. labels. Uh, Universal is a is a brand that's just publicly made a statement about AI music. Yep. We can dive into everything else that's happened from Ariana Grande now singing in other languages to yeah. a whole bunch of other stuff and what Grimes has said, but what are your first thoughts on AI-generated music? Because we've been talking about this in the pod. We yeah. spoke about it in episode one, that AI music is going to be a huge thing. Yeah. And it seems to be happening. So, okay. I think AI music is a bit of a muddy term in itself because if you, if you go back 50 years, everything was like, super analog mm. and everything was done by hand. And if you were producing music, you had a pair of scissors and you were snipping tapes and clipping them together mm -hmm. to construct your track. And yep. you could only have like six tapes. So you could only have six instruments playing at the same time. And like, that's how manual it was. Mm -hmm. And that was the cutting edge yeah. quite literally. And yeah. so it's evolved since then. My brother had, uh, I, he still does it actually. He produces music. Mm. He, he loves producing music and he does that all on a laptop and he uses a bunch of AI powered plugins to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's not classed as AI music because these plugins do such a small thing. They might like bring the bass up mm. or bring the vocals out. This new wave of AI music is a lot more, sort of one model fits all. You kind of just describe what you want um, or you want, or who you want to sing something. Mm. And so that seems to be alarming people. The thing that, that people seem to be concerned about is the AI singing. Yeah. Yeah, essentially before this, before AI-based voice generation, it was the, the voice was the main part of the song and everything else was just an instrument. Yeah. Uh, just another instrument. Now the voice is just another instrument in the song because everybody can anybody can create an AI voice. Yeah. I mean, we created a Steve Jobs. He wasn't singing, but we created a Steve Jobs uh, video um, of like us talking to Steve Jobs and asking for advice, mm. and we just simulated his voice. This 
seems to be, if I was an artist right now and my route to wealth and security was my voice, and now somebody that I don't know halfway across the world can get my exact voice, get it to sing and create amazing content that goes viral, where previously I, I was the only one that could do that, I'd be very worried. So the short term, I think there's going to be a divide. We're already actually starting to see it where you have some artists that embrace it with some really exciting ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then you have some artists who are on their way to court. Yes. They're going to sue everyone. Yeah. The problem with that is if you just do like, let's say Ariana Grande's voice mm-hmm. and you make a new track with her and it's very clearly her, I think there's an argument that you can be sued because it's very clearly her. But if you give her voice to an AI and also Drake's voice to an AI and you say, make a new voice, there's the combination of these two. I don't Maybe let's think- go with Ariana and Mariah Carey. <laughs> Ariana no, I want to hear the Ariana Drake combo. <laughs> okay, but, it, right. but you'll be able to do anything. Right. You could combine 50 voices. Mm-hmm. Or you could just use a, someone else's voice as a suggestion, mm. like a prompt mm. for a brand new voice. That's when it gets really muddy because it's like, this is no longer that person's voice, but that voice wouldn't exist without it. But it's just like, it's just a mathematical algorithm that's transforming it into something else. And I don't know, that seems to be law has no way of dealing with that at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's make it a little bit more muddy. Okay. So uh, there was one song that came up on my TikTok, which I was like, I, I found absolutely crazy. It was a very popular Punjabi song called Kangana or something like that. Um, and that was a song created back in 2004, whatever. It's like a massive song. Every mm. Asian person that's ever been to a South Asian person that's ever been to a wedding knows that song. And somebody used AI Ariana Grande's voice to sing that song. And so that was like mind blowing. And everybody was like, oh my God, you can get any artist to sing any song, regardless of the language. If that was going to be taken to court, would it be Ariana or would it be the original song creator? (laughs) Or would it be both? Do you see how muddy it gets? Like, law doesn't yeah. know how to deal with this because the, the, the song that was sang was this Punjabi song, but the voice that was used was Ariana's voice. What do you do? I think this will get resolved quite quickly, if I'm totally honest. We'll see a few court cases and lawsuits that define the tone that is adopted along, across the rest of the world in the same way that copyright works. If you um, infringe someone's copyright with music now, mm-hmm. that lawsuit looks like basically both sides of the table fighting each other as to whether it is that song. So, for example, Ed Sheeran is in court this week doing this exact thing. Um, someone is trying to sue Ed Sheeran for copying a song. Mm. And so their argument is, here's all the proof this sounds like our song. Yeah. And his argument is, but loads of songs sound like that. Yeah. And my song doesn't really sound anything like the song you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot, it's very subjective. And the yeah. thing is you can trace 
pop music today all the way back to like Beethoven and beyond. Yeah. Because it's just the same musical scale. You can, uh, have you seen the video of Ed Sheeran playing any song that anybody recommends using four, co- yeah. four chords? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough. So, um, okay. So on that point, yes, it, there, it could get resolved with some, um, just some cases that set precedent for yes. how these cases should be handled. But then something else interesting happened, uh, which actually you saw on your feed before I saw on mine. I saw it uh, like 20 minutes ago. Grimes has openly said, anybody that wants to use my voice um, and, and create music with my voice, I will do a mm. 50-50 rev share with you yeah. uh, for that piece of content. This is very, very interesting. And this speaks to a broader argument, which is, Basically, the open internet and people creating stuff for the internet is kind of insurmountable. Like nobody can compete with people just creating stuff and and groups coming together to create stuff. And so instead of trying to go like the universal music approach is like, we're going to try and shut down every single project, every single thing that goes viral using one of our artists voice. And we're going to take you to court. We're going to sue you copyright stuff. She's like, okay, I can't beat this community. I'm going to join them. If somebody creates an amazing piece of work, I'm not tied to any label. I think she's an independent artist. I'm not tied to any label. Um, I have the control over my own voice. So if you create an amazing song using my voice and it does super well, yeah, you, by all means, go for it. You can have 50% of the revenue and I'll take 50%. This seems amazing because essentially millions of songs can now be created using Grimes' voice without her having to do any work and she gets 50% of the revenue of every single one of those songs. It's genius. So, it's amazing. Yes, but we're, we're thinking about this in the wrong frame of mind. We're, we're, okay. we're taking the current state of music and projecting it onto the new technology. But actually, I think it's going to be very quickly even more confusing because if you're universal, what you're looking at is the songs that are doing well and whether they sound like your artists. And they've probably been doing this for years in case another artist infringes on their IP. Okay, makes a lot of sense. So there's a charts and, and, and that whole system. And so it's easy to track. But what happens when you have an app on, the, on your phone and you can just say, I want to listen to a song that's like Ariana Grande and it's three minutes long. Play. It's not yeah. distributed. It's on your phone only. Yeah. And that model will run locally offline. Yeah. And it'll be infinite. We spoke about, I think it's the first or second episode, infinite live streaming. Yeah. What happens in the world of real time music generation and consumption? Yeah. Where uh, I think you gave the example where if you're on Spotify or some kind of music platform and you are listening to a song and the AI maybe, maybe, uh, already realizes that you're enjoying it, or maybe it sends you a little notification. Hey, enjoying the song? Want it? Do you want it to continue? And you click yes, and the song that was previously three minutes, you're enjoy- enjoying it so much that so the AI is going to turn it into six minutes. But it's going to bring in a feature from Ariana Grande, right? Exactly. What do you do then? Like, I don't know what the answer is for that because on if it's one person that has that, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But if I don't know seven million people in one given day yeah. have listened to it, have asked to extend a song and they've gotten the Ariana Grande feature. Yeah. That's a ton of lost revenue. 
okay, for, the, here, for the music label. Here's, this is super biased and it's probably super naive, but here's I, what I think needs to happen. I think Spotify need to introduce a new feature that is 100% AI generated. And if you listen to it, it tells you who inspired that song and gives you a link to that artist. So like, let's say you're listening to a song and in the middle, it just like throws in some Ariana Grande. And for some reason, you don't know who that is. And it's like, you seem to like that song. Um, that was actually inspired by Ariana Grande. Here's a link to her actual profile. Mm-hmm. So now, you're, now it's a way to discover music. By just listening to, to AI-generated music, now you can discover artists. And if, if Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, and Apple Music and everyone do that, they will get ahead of the AI thing. Yes, although the artist benefits from when their music is listened to. Yes. And so there would still be money left on the table. So if you're Mariah Carey and you have the number one Christmas song and somebody listens to an AI-generated Christmas song sang by Mariah Carey. Yes. And then it just says, yeah, by the way, this was inspired by Mariah Carey. You can go and check out her songs. There is still going to be a conversion loss for people that don't go and listen to her songs. And still, so there is still going to be money left on the table, which then creates precedent for the, for the music labels to still not be satisfied. I kind of disagree with that. So okay. if you are listening to a song with Mariah Carey mm-hmm. and you like it and you listen to that all the way through and you don't click on a name and you just click to the next one, but the algorithm says, oh, actually, Danny really liked that song. I'm going to use more of Mariah Carey as inspiration. Mm-hmm. And the more Danny listens to Mariah Carey inspired music, the more money Mariah Carey in real life gets. So she gets a revenue share based on the time her voice is keeping you on Spotify. That would, okay. that would, give, a, that would give the artist something. The problem is, I don't think there's, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that is a better deal for artists because this technology is not going away unless they outlaw it. Mm -hmm. And in which case you just end up with like basically a black market for music. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get rid of this technology. So the people that control music consumption now should embrace this because otherwise another app will come along that is not as big and is not as big as legal target. Mm -hmm. And they will launch AI generated music only. Mm-hmm. and everyone will try it because at first it'll go viral yeah. and then they'll get into it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like AI generated music now because I'm like, oh my God, I can take the voice of this artist that I love but can't yeah. speak this language. I can listen to this song with their voice. I think, okay, Spotify could do that and that would um, maybe be accepted but there still remains the problem that music studios and music labels will still have a massive problem. You can open that. It's fine. It's all good. Sorry. Pop and open the can. Uh, Music labels will still have the problem because Spotify and Apple Music, and if you combine all of these music platforms, yes, it accounts for probably a decent sized uh, percentage, particularly, uh, particularly in the Western world, for music consumption. Yes. But there are so many other places there where music is consumed. Mm -hmm. Like, Forever 21 when you're inside uh, Westfield in the lift and you can't cite the inspiration. Can you imagine being in Forever 21? This song was inspired by... You can't... <laughs> you know? 
But we need a, we quickly, in all areas of art, need a way of keeping the artist's name at least in the conversation about the art being consumed. Because I don't believe we're going to stop it. Like, if you just fought it, it's not going to work. You can't fight it. Like, this technology is here now. Mm. Just as much as when um, LimeWire was sharing music. Uh, or, like, was it, it was Napster, right? Mm. The original. That was the right thing, but, went around, but it went around it in the wrong way. So what's going to happen, probably, I would predict is that the music platforms are going to stay the same. They're mm-hmm. going to fight it because they're scared of all of these deals they've got with the, with the labels. Like if Universal said, we're going to pull all of our music off of Spotify because you have an AI playlist that you're recommending to people, mm-hmm. that'd be terrible. That'd be a bad day for Spotify. Yeah, it would be. So they're going to stay the same. And what will happen is a app will be released that is AI generated music only that looks like Spotify and people will use it. And at that point, either Apple will decide to ban it, Mm. in which case everyone will go to SoundCloud or, Mm -hmm. or everyone will use that app and Spotify and all of the other services will start to, their their market share is going to erode over time. And the sad thing there would be that the, uh, the artists no longer get credit for the music that they are responsible for in the world. Yes. Although you could liken the exact same analogy to ChatGPT coming around and stealing a bunch of Google's um, market share. And therefore the writers, which arguably are, maybe not even arguably, blog writers are artists in their own way. Yeah. Um, And so ChatGPT comes along and is the AI version of finding out information. Google loses uh, a little bit of market share and therefore blogs get viewed less there still is not a clean answer as to how that's solved. There's like the whole citation issue is just kind of got put underwater as to whether um, it should be fair use or not. I, I just don't think there is a clear answer as to, as to where to go from here. I am also very interested in um, Apple's relationship with the music labels and with the music world in general, because if they don't like this. They could very much shut down distribution, or at least on iPhone, which is a decent percentage of uh, of the world. Just like uh, just like they have done with uh, AI chatbot companies, they're not allowed. Mm. AI chatbot companies aren't allowed to have like NSFW content, and so like Replica is an example of something that of a of a AI system that got lobotomized and could not process any NSFW conversations, and their users were previously used to that. Apple just said no, basically. Yeah. Well, that's what's suspected. It could that's be the case. Suspected. Yeah, that's what's suspected. It could be the case if, if Apple is close to the music world, they say to SoundCloud, to Spotify, you're not allowed AI-generated music. Yeah, but if you look at the Napster example, so the Naps- Napster is a good parallel because it's the same industry and it's a similar shift. Yeah, shout out Where- Sean Parker. He has done some <laughs> crazy stuff. We've spoken about... Napster, Facebook, Spotify. Yeah. Those are all companies that Sean Parker was instrumental in the early stages of. If you look at the Napster example with Mm. the music industry, what happened was there was a breakthrough technology that threatened the music industry. Right. So the music industry decided we're just going to sue 
until this company dies. And at that point, like there were a bunch of copycat services. LimeWire was another one. Like there was, <clears throat> there was tons of them. And that kind of went away for a very brief moment. And iTunes plugged a gap. Yeah. Which was the wrong business model, but it was better than free music for the music industry. Mm-hmm. And then people like Spotify came along mm-hmm. where it was unlimited music for like seven pounds a month or something. So that was much more appealing to people. If you notice, like since the streaming services started, movie piracy has gone to zero as well because it's way more accessible. Yeah. Piracy in general has really, it has, has gone away. I, d- yeah. I don't know. Like I don't know the pirate bay has been squashed so many times where they just spawn up another place. But piracy, I, I'd like, I would have friends that would download pirate movies and stuff. Yeah. It's just not really a thing anymore. No, it's not a thing anymore. Or not, at least not in the world that I live in. Yeah. And I think something similar is going to happen here. I mm. think that there will be a huge war between the music labels and AI companies mm-hmm. and potentially through distribution channels like the app stores and music companies and AI companies. It's going to be really be messy. messy. <laughs> and then in the, like amongst the wreckage after the battle, there's going to be some killer AI music offerings that do it in the right way that are massively accepted that everyone benefits from just as the movie industry benefits from producing super high quality Netflix series. Now mm. it's like movie quality TV shows were not possible. The old business model they are now, and it's led to huge breakthroughs in technology. Now we're shooting like things like the Mandalorian on a volume in a warehouse instead mm-hmm. of on location. Some incredible things are happening. I think the same thing will happen in the AI music industry but I think we're years away from it. I wonder what happens um, for consumers, for people that listen to music. I wonder what happens for them. If artists uh, turn around and say, well, what's the point of me creating music? Because my voice is just going to be taken yet again yeah. to create uh, something. And, and Or if I create a piece of music, there are going to be 10,000 clones that emerge of something better or a different idea that somebody had using AI and they just make me say something else. I wonder what happens to the, and, and also if the platforms start to get into uh, hot water because yes. of any lawsuits or any uh, infringements that they have with the music labels, I wonder what the spill out effects happen to people that just listen to music. But also I think we, everyone goes to like the worst case scenario and they forget the human value. So let's say we live in a world where there are thousands of songs produced by Drake. Mm-hmm. And then one drops that's actually by Drake. You say that, you say that, and I do agree with you long-term. However, there are two uh, interesting thoughts there, which is, number one, when this Drake Weekend song came up, I was going through all of the videos that reposted it, and I was going through the comments, and people were saying this is the best thing that Drake has dropped uh, in the last 10 years. And there were other comments saying that it's no longer Drake, as in D. A, a D-R-A-K-E is D-A- <laughs> D-A-A-I. No, what, what is happening to my spelling? <laughs> it's spell. no longer D-R-A-K-E. It's now D-R-A-I-K-E. Yeah. And so all of these um, comments started to emerge. And this might be because this is the new thing. It's still the novelty of having an AI-generated um, yes. uh, song, which is like super amazing. So there's the, the, the concept that people love the song and they think it's better than anything that Drake has put out recently. And then the other thing is that we appreciate 
the human artist because we grew up with human artists. This goes back to something that we spoke about in episode one. If you are like born today and you start listening to music five years from now and the majority of the music that you listen to is AI generated, mm. you might value AI generated music way more than human generated music because you know the AI generated music is optimized to be better. So maybe if, maybe for our generation, we love the actual human artist behind stuff. Yeah. But soon new generations forget that there was ever a human artist behind any music. When you look at a hand-drawn, those TikToks of people who, they like sketch someone who sat on the tube or something, mm -hmm. and then they go and give it to the person. Yeah. And you get the, the reaction. And the reaction's always like, oh my God, you drew this of me. You know the printer exists? Yeah. And the camera? Yeah. We can do a photorealistic copy of that person's Might hand, be a bit weird if we go <laughs> give a photo. This no, is you. <laughs> you know, the point is, yeah. the, the value is that the human put a pencil to pen, a pencil to paper, and did it. Now, my hunch is that the current artists are not going to know how to make, like a lot of them are going to struggle and to compete against the AI versions of themselves. The Drake example is a great one. It might be that Drake, AI Drake, is better. But there might be some 16-year-old that's sat in their bedroom right now with a laptop and a guitar and is about to rise to fame on TikTok. And they are much, everyone goes mental when they release a song. And 80% of their music is AI generated and 20% is what actually drives sales because they've like managed to socially engineer themselves into a better position. I think, I don't know. I believe that artists have always been creative and they will find a creative way to solve this. They will find a creative way to solve this. I think um, one thing that will never go away is human nosiness, yeah. which is human, like there are some very, very popular songs that are like diss tracks yeah. or uh, The Weeknd released Call Out My Name and there was a lyric that he said, almost cut a piece of, almost cut a piece of myself for your life. And that was because Selena was going through some kind of operation and he offered her kid, uh, his kidney or something. And that song went crazy. Yes, it was an amazing song, but that same song can now be replicated with AI. However, there's a story of the massive, the weekend and Selena breakup. And that was all, there was a bunch of drama. Justin Bieber got involved because they were, it was, Selena went back to Justin for a brief period of time. This made that particular lyric go completely yeah. wild online. And everybody was like, oh my God, what's, what do you think they're talking about now? This won't go away. Just because the AI music is um, just like perfect and lovely the story behind different artists' motives for creating a piece of artwork yeah. is going to remain. And I think we might start to see some like artificially engineered storylines that start to emerge yeah. behind a piece of music or artwork. I, f I fully believe, and I think that actually the music industry already maybe does that a little bit. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The, the drama probably does sell tracks. I remember the world going crazy for Olivia Rodrigo. Mm -hmm. and her entire album was about a breakup that everyone was like speculating about. Yeah. And it's weird because it was like self-feeding. And then she put out, like she kept putting out songs and people kept speculating more and more. And then the people the songs are about also wrote songs mm -hmm. about her. There were like three people, all three of them made songs about the same thing. Yeah. And 
my God, it was all over TikTok. Yeah. It just blew up. I think everyone was coming out of lockdowns at the time. It was mm. perfect timing. And that music, it's great music, but what sold it was... Oh God, have you heard this beat? It's the story. It's the story. Yeah, I mean, you can take the exact same um, analogy from the boxing world. I mean, watching Deontay, uh, Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury, that's going to be a good fight. Like, they yeah. are both amazing boxers. But KSI, <laughs> when KSI fights Jake Paul, or the KSI Logan fight, I think had more uh, pay-per-view sales because there's the whole story and you've got like a bunch of uh, kids that subscribe to both of them. It's like, oh my God, I've watched your videos for yeah. absolutely ages. You're going to fight this guy who I also subscribe to. You're going to win. No, the other guy's going to win. There's still the human story there. And the boxing quality was shocking. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't take either of them on. I'd lose. But it wasn't about the quality of each fighter. It was about the whole story. And they had like the, oh, did you see him push him on stage? Mm. That whole drama and the storyline behind artwork. You're, I, yeah. I do believe you're going to see it ramp up. And a lot of people aren't going to realize, but it's probably to try and combat AI generated. Yeah, fully. But also I think you'll see other people who are not musically inclined dropping tracks that are AI generated. Like I'm ready for the Biden track. Yeah. It's it's Joe Biden doing some like sick rap. Yeah. yeah, And it's part of his campaign. And I'm guaranteed that it gets millions of views overnight because it's so like far off from what you're expecting. You're expecting to see Drake drop an AI track. Mm. You're not expecting Boris Johnson's like diss track about Matt Hancock. Yeah, there could actually be. Okay, this would be really a dystopian world. But if you were, I don't know, on on either party, let's say you're you're a you're a Democrat and you're and you're in the next general election, you could instigate somebody to create a diss track for your party member against the other party member, let's say Joe Biden's voice on the sickest written diss track, uh, like absolutely insulting the hell out of uh, Donald Trump. Say that it was created, well, give it to some uh, AI music producer to create and let it go viral on TikTok. That could actually be needle moving for an election. It's communication as well. So if it's you have a message yeah. that you, it doesn't have to be political, although I think that humans probably will make it political. Yeah. But it could be anything you want to communicate can now be done through a new medium. It's no longer just the artists who can do this. It's yeah. literally anyone who wants to write a song about anything can maybe make a chart topping song about anything. Yeah, so that's a little bit dystopian because you could argue that that Joe Biden diss track is essentially a deep fake, uh, a deep fake AI based propaganda. Oh, yeah, most people just call it a that's song. Exactly what it is? It's, <laughs> it's propaganda. It's deep fake yes. AI based propaganda. It's psychological manipulation yeah. by AI. <laughs> but uh, I mean, these yeah. things will all happen. Yeah, they will. It would be naive to expect them to not happen. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Let's move on. Got a- another topic. Yes, we do have another topic. There's something that I think would be really interesting to talk about. Um, let's move on a smaller scale. Okay. okay. So okay. everything that we've been talking about over the past couple of episodes is like, oh my God, AI is going to change this massive thing. Right. It'd be quite interesting to, I want to talk about a particular guy that I find really, really interesting, um, but that would lead onto a topic of understanding how AI could change some small stuff like the software that dentists use or something like that. Right, so there is a guy called Mark Leonard. Have you ever heard of him? Never heard of this guy. Okay. Mark Leonard is a super fascinating guy. He is the tech, technology billionaire that you've never heard of. 
right? So it's Mark Leonard, dude. He's like 78 or something or 80. Damn. He's like, a, he, he's getting up there, but he's, he's a really awesome guy and he's lived a really full life. He is based in Canada and he created a company called Constellation Software. Have you ever heard of Constellation Software? No, never heard of them. Okay. Should so, I have? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this guy... <laughs> This guy's really interesting. Um, So Constellation Software, he started this company called Constellation Software, and basically what they do is they're essentially a Berkshire Hathaway. Okay. Um, So they're kind of like a a holding company, but specifically for vertical SaaS businesses. Right. So they're in the business of basically buying a bunch of software products that are really useful for a specific group of people. So I actually have um, a couple of examples of, of the companies uh, and the industries that they invest in. So if you are in the space of, if you are a spa or you're a, um, I don't know, you work in education, you maybe have like a private school or something, these types of small businesses, let's say you're a spa, the software that you use, if you're a spa to manage your clients and your appointments and, and all of this stuff is likely powered by one of the companies that Constellation Software owns. So they are vertical specific. They, they own vertical specific SaaS businesses. Okay. Does that make sense? So they're just monopolizing the SaaS market for a niche. Yeah. So they want, <laughs> they want to buy, if there is, I don't know, you take like uh, landscape trimming or landscape. Yes. If there is a piece of software that every single landscaper uses and they're like, I cannot live without this thing. Yep. Chances are Constellation Software either own it or have tried to buy it, or right. if they haven't heard of it, they really want it. Okay. So these vertical-specific smaller SaaS companies, they basically buy them under these holding companies and they consolidate them and, and that's how they make their money. Okay, so it's they're not necessarily super well-known pieces of software. They're just super well-known between, like in a specific niche. Yeah, you yeah. you would not have heard of them unless... You've been in the business of running a gym and you're looking for the best gym software, gym management software. You wouldn't, you would never have heard of any of these companies. I am looking for some software for my gym. Okay. Go to talk to Mark Leonard. Okay, Mark, (laughs) let's go. Yeah. So, so this is really interesting. So he buys uh, vertical specific SaaS businesses. And so this company, uh, I'd like you to guess their market cap, their valuation. Oh, Mm. <laughs> what? Oh yes! Oh my okay. god! The, you uh, set the room on a timer. Yes, yeah, on a timer. Uh, Hello, man. <laughs> I didn't think this through. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wait, wait, wait! So the room this is completely separate to yes. the podcast. The room will just clean the office at night. Yeah, it just comes on. That's crazy. And it maps the room as well. That's just insane. There's a map of the room on my phone now. Technology. Bro. Technology. Knowledge. The, um, the chairs, where the chairs were. Yeah. It's like, can't go there, mate. It, wow. It's like mapped where the chairs were last night. And I'm not sure whether it's going to rediscover the chairs have moved. Yeah. Or whether it's going to avoid those areas forever. Now we're just going to have like a circle of dust where everyone originally put their chairs. That is amazing. Right. We should probably turn that off. Yeah. That's ruin turn that. it off. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I can tell it to go home. Watch this. Ready? Okay, oh, you press- can do it via the app? Yeah. Do recharge. Yes. What? 
So now it like tries to figure out where in the room it is. And then it just makes like a beeline straight for the charger. Oh my God. We have to leave this in. That, yeah, we have to leave this. This is mental. So we actually have, uh, if you haven't seen um, Carter's YouTube channel, we're actually going to add a Carter agent to a Roomba. So while it cleans the office, it can like insult us. Yeah, we're going to make him into like a super rude Cockney cleaning robot. Yeah, Cockney or kind of like creature. If you've seen um, Harry Potter, you know the the House of Black uh, house elf? Yeah. Creature is kind of like a, a miserable... Wow. There it goes. It's docking. I it's feel the like, future, dude. I feel like Starship has just landed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So back on topic. Got another one that is in the box. Oh, you got another one? one? Yeah. Oh my God, Roomba Wars. Yeah. Roomba Wars would actually be really popular, yeah. I think. But they could okay. verbally abuse each other at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> We need just to don't do that. We need to hook up like a microphone to both of them, and they can just infinitely cuss each other out. We back. <laughs> I'm the better cleaner. <laughs> Maybe it only does it when the when like the timer activates. Yeah. So anyone who's in the building late can just hear like this growl <laughs> going on down the corridor. Yeah. The hell is down there? <laughs> oh my god, that's actually really interesting. Like, if you could, for I never thought about this, but as an alarm system. If you could have like some kind of detection of like a movement detection trigger a Carter agent to with a with a voice and a and a loud speaker yeah to be like who is this who are you and actually can and you can do this with the speaker now with a normal alarm system some do but if somebody says something back to see whether it's a recording but have the Carter agent actually speak and Ooh. quote unquote pass the Turing test. That could be like the next level revolution of, uh, yeah. of alarm systems. And then the AI gets so advanced, it can convince you to give up your life of crime. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and it could just take what? you on a mad journey. Why do you want to burgle this house? <laughs> Come back in the morning, the guy sat there, <laughs> falling his eyes out. Ring doorbells need to get in touch. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. That's a vertical sass that maybe they- Mark Leonard... <laughs> Okay, what's okay. this guy do? I don't know. Tell me the market cap. Okay, so this guy's company is his... A few hundred uh, million. I'm going to go for hundreds of millions. Yeah, it's like a little little tech startup with a valuation of 56 billion Canadian dollars. What? Yeah, mental. Actually, I think you told me... I thought you... I We were talking about this briefly earlier. Yeah. And I thought you said 56 million. No, 56 billion. They're Canadian dollars. I'm not sure what the conversion is. I don't think it's too dissimilar. Yeah, he's only worth thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Still got a current account. Yeah, <laughs> right. uh, yeah no, 50, I, I believe there's probably like $30 billion, whatever. Okay. Big company. Yeah. Um, all from vertical SaaS. So the, the software companies that you've never, ever heard of, the, the unsexy ones that have been in the business for like, I don't know, 40 years, this guy owns them and he's basically consolidated them and he's been doing incredibly well so far. Now, the reason that this is interesting for a conversation about AI is because he has been able to monopolize um, different markets, so like doctor's offices and, and dentists and marine technology, like these small industries that all use his products. 
now with AI, somebody can create a whole suite of amazing production ready products for a particular industry on their own. Like it's, it doesn't require funding. It doesn't re require hiring. It doesn't require a company to be set up. You can, if you're, so take one of the industries that he's in, spa and fitness, right? So if you wanted to compete with one of his businesses uh, right now, let's say, let's say um, Constellation Software have a spa and, spa and fitness um, management platform, yeah. right? In order to compete with them, you could, you would need to um, have a few developers. Okay, that's not a problem. If you and your friends want to get together and co-found a, a company, you don't need money for that. Well, you need money to live, but you don't need funding for that. You need to get a few developers to create everything. You would need um, some kind of like sales team. You would need a customer support team. You would need, uh, you'd need a whole bunch of like people and things to be set up and you'd yeah. need an actual company. Uh, likely, because if you've got people on the payroll, yeah. all of this stuff, it's a headache. And so right now they are, well, previously Constellation Software's portfolio companies were safe because they were in markets that people didn't really care about. However, now with not care about, but they were like smaller markets, okay, right? Okay. Um, now with AI, you can get the software development, the um, deployment, the sales, the marketing, the branding, the website, the UI, the design, everything done on your own, just using AI. If you've got, a, if you've got access to some budget for compute, although compute, is, uh, compute costs are going down, let's say you've got some budget for compute, yeah. um, and maybe you've got like one other person just so that you don't feel lonely. It's not like a case that the technology can't do it. But you maybe got you and a mate. You can go after... Seems like almost any of these businesses that Constellation own. So I am interested in your thoughts. I have some thoughts about like maybe these industries are maybe these small niche industries are work a lot more on relationships and therefore they wouldn't adopt new technology. But what are your thoughts on AI impacting these slightly smaller industries? The whole like music and the world changing stuff is spoken about a lot. Yes. What do you think is going to happen on the micro scale for some of these smaller niche industries? Um, in a previous life, I made some software for small industries. Likewise, and, same. Yeah. And in a previous was, life, dude, we were like 19. It was like, it was like two years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it was eye opening yeah. because you have, you're genuinely wanting to help those businesses. Yeah. But more often than not, you're dealing with customers who have no idea about technology and yeah. they're like either still using, I mean, I had customers that were still a hundred percent paper based. Goodness. And I had most of my customers were taking someone's spreadsheet, and making it into a little like login portal system, like an online, like just like a tiny, very basic They'd have some like algorithm in a spreadsheet and we just like whacked, whack it together in like JavaScript and off it goes. Right. And I actually, my opinion is that they should have just stuck with the spreadsheet. Okay. In most cases. Why is that? Because <coughs> I just don't think we need to overcomplicate every business. And just because software can actually, sometimes it's fine to have a spreadsheet. Like actually sometimes it's more flexible so 
I would only say this is a threat to people's businesses if there really are people out there who want to go after the niche gardener, like landscape gardener market. But also you need to be willing to work with a guy who spends his life in a van driving around, like laying people's pavement, uh, like patios or something, and wants to talk to you about the app on his phone or her phone. And that's like the reality. It's a very gritty business. It's like the most gritty software business would be Mm -hmm. these small, tiny, tiny apps and these tiny businesses. And they all have very obvious human imperfection. So like if you look at their spreadsheets, for example, what you'll see is you'll see there's some idea of structure, but actually the human's gone in and like, oh, well, on this day they were on holiday, so I've had to change the color of the cell of the spreadsheet to this. It's Mm -hmm. orange. There's no key, but I know what it means. To a software developer, you're like screaming inside (laughs) because now that's a feature that needs to be implemented for every occasion. What does orange mean? Um, it only needs to do that some of the time was like the most terrifying phrase. So I think yeah. software development, just because an AI can do it, there's still a ton of stuff that the AI can't do. Mm-hmm. And you still need to be a type of person that wants to go and do all of that extra work. So I don't know whether it is a threat. And I also don't think these small businesses like change. Yeah. So that's, I think the, 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 I wouldn't really call it a solution cause I'm not entirely sure it's a problem. Um, but that's like the biggest like counterbalance to these mm. kind of like niche specific businesses, niche niche specific software businesses, which is a lot of these niches um, rely on the human relationship. So like you take privatized uh, medical centers, privatized medical businesses, uh, for example, a lot of them, these are obviously more popular in the U.S., but um, I think medical businesses are, are a large part of Constellation Software's uh, portfolio. Right. And that's because the system that a lot of private hospitals and, and uh, dental clinics, et cetera, uh, a lot of the systems that they've been using, the software systems that they've been using, has been the same system from the same provider for like 30 years. Yeah. And it's been grandfathered through the business from like a relationship from the, from the founder of the medical business Yes. The founder of the medical business played golf with the founder of the software business. They uh, started a relationship and there hasn't been any real need to change. Mm-hmm. Now, these products, to be quite frank, they are, I've, I, I mean, I saw some, I saw the, first of all, I saw the Constellation Software website and let's say it doesn't look like apple.com. Uh, there are a lot of like uh, slide, you know, these slideshow videos, like, welcome, we nice. are the, Yeah. And it's very homely. It's, it's mm. like a nice, nostal- it's kind of like a nostalgic um, website. But, but you can very clearly tell from their businesses, they aren't at the cutting edge of technology. Their products still have like an outdated UI. Yeah. It's not like the, the, the software products that we're used to using. They don't look anything like that. And it does seem to create some inefficiencies within the actual businesses that they mm. serve. So like the software businesses of, of a private hospital Sometimes things, sometimes information and data is lost when you put something in, or maybe there's like a, there's no auto save. So there's a percentage of uh, data that gets lost. That's that some nurse or, uh, or some administrator has put in. However, these products are in there, not because of their functionality and their efficiency, but because of the relationship that they have with the provider. Yes. That I don't think is going away anytime soon. I agree. And the other thing is that it's maybe, 
in the medical industry, I think there's an argument that you should always strive to do better because your impact is going to be potentially like exponential. Right. If you've got faster, if, you, if you've got a 5% more accurate cancer detection system in a hospital, that's probably not up their street. But if you have, that's a significant improvement. In fact, a 0.1% accuracy improvement on cancer detection would be significant. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if you have an app on a landscape gardener's phone that makes them, that allows them to order supplies online 5% faster, they're not going to see any difference. There's no tangible difference there. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I actually think sometimes, sometimes if it isn't broken, don't fix it, is actually good in the software world. I used to believe if it can be done better, then you should do it better. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually think that that's not always the case. And I don't think it's just small businesses that think like that. I have a friend that works for Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. He's an engineer for them. and He loves his job. Mm-hmm. He was telling me uh, years ago, I have lost touch with this friend, (laughs) (laughs) but um, he was telling me years ago when we left school, we met up and he said, "Um, I don't understand. They're a brand new facility and they're running software from the seventies on their machines. Coca-Cola is running software from the seventies. They were then. Right. And that's what he was saying. And I mean, I don't work for Coca-Cola. Maybe this is not the truth, but this Mm. is what I was told. And at first I was like, well, that's ridiculous. We're going to go in there and we're going to write them better software. Yeah. And it actually got close. I nearly had a meeting with Coca-Cola about that. Wow. Um, But it was like, looking back now, that was a pipe dream. That would have never happened because they're a huge organization. They're producing thousands of cows (laughs) an hour. Right. And the point is you can't just stop and update the software. You need to have something reliable that's always worked, that's always going to deliver. Same yeah. with banking systems. They're all written in really old languages. They're in COBOL. Yeah. Money, is, money is moves around in COBOL. Yeah. Banks have to pull people out of retirement to fix their system. Yeah. That's the level. Very few people write. Yeah, it might be the case that the most defensible software engineering job is being a COBOL developer. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it'll be that those guys that are in their 60s or 70s now mm. who are the COBOL guys yeah, just immediately hand off to something like GPT-4 that can learn that language as well as it can learn JavaScript. Mm. But then how are you going to validate it? Yeah, I, 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 find, this, I find this interesting. I do, I do believe that software is not the answer to everything. Yeah. Like there is a simple uh, example of, I tried to book a meeting room. Right. I wanted to book a meeting room for our, for our board meeting. And, um, uh, the, I went to the front desk of, of the person that manages the, the, the desk that manages this entire area. And I was like, can I book a meeting room? And they were like, yeah, sure. Let me send you an email with a link to our document where you can see, understand everything that's going on. If you e-sign this, then you download the app. Then you can get access to the lift. And then if you scan the barcode, the QR code on top of the room, the door will magically open. Yes. Or you can have this key card. <laughs> I was like, just give me the key card. Yes. And she was like, no, 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 but the app gives you like our special offers. I was like, I don't want your special offers. Give me the key card. She was like, oh. Well, here you go. <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> Amazing. I actually, like, the more software I write, yeah, the less software I think there needs to be in the world. Yeah, it's 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 actually insane. 
And I do think we, we spoke previously about um, will AI take jobs and stuff? And we were like talking about the technicalities. Oh, it wouldn't be able to do this. Or who would, if the AI writes code, who would review it? Would the AI review it? Then would there be biases? All of this stuff. I actually now, having, having slept on that idea, I think the answer is really simple as to why AI won't take jobs uh, or all of the jobs or most of the jobs is that people want to work with people. So yeah. if, if say, one of, say, say I could be replaced or you could be replaced or somebody at, at Team Carter could be replaced, we wouldn't because we like that person. Even if their job could be 100% replicated right now, there's a difference when there's a larger company and you're maybe in crisis mode and you can let go of 30% of your workforce or whatever. Some company did this. Um, yeah. That's different. But like if, you're, if you talk about the majority of teams that are quite small and small businesses, you don't want to come in uh, no, to yeah. the office and not see Sally and see Sally GPT. You want to see Sally. You know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think most people who lose their jobs because of software don't actually notice people. Some people notice, but a lot of people probably don't notice that they lost their job because of software because they, you know, they moved from on from one company and they ended up doing something slightly different because the thing they used to do, most companies use software to do that now. And therefore there were no jobs, but the person didn't really notice when they were looking for jobs that mm. they were applying for something slightly different. Like if you work for a company for 10 years, you can't, re- you can't remember your job description when you first joined and it will have changed. Your actual role will have changed over time. Mm-hmm. So by the time you come out the other end, you're doing a completely different role yeah. with different tools. And the person coming in who's joining is not doing the same job. They're doing the new thing. So that old job is lost because of the software. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think that's probably how the majority of people will lose their jobs to software is that the, nature of their work changes over time. Yeah. And I, I think just because there is a loss of job doesn't mean that there will be a loss of employment. Right. Like a job can, I mean, there are no lift operators, but I'm sure those lift operators found other jobs that they could do. Similarly, right now, if you are doing a job that, and you're really worried, if you're a software engineer right now, and you're really worried about your job getting replaced, it's like the role of a software engineer in the 90s or 80s is now basically not something that you hire for anymore. Take HTML developers, for example. HTML developers previously were like the kingpin of the Mm. tech industry when the coolest thing was like, oh my God, a website? Now you've got Webflow, now you've got um, different libraries, now you've got like the ability to never touch the HTML. Right. And that doesn't mean that HTML developers are now completely invaluable. They can never get another job again. They're just doing different things. If you go to the GitHub Copilot website, there's this stat that's on their homepage, and it's like, coders work 50% faster with Copilot. And I believe this to be true. You I use feel, Copilot. I love Copilot. Mm-hmm. Everyone uses it at Carter. We use all sorts of tools mm-hmm. um, to make our software the best it possibly can be and to achieve our goals as, as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like I'm looking at the team and going, well, if I'm working twice as fast, let's just cut the team in half. Mm-hmm. It's okay. The team is able to work twice as fast now. So in an alternate universe where Copilot doesn't exist, I would be thinking about hiring someone else to take on the workload. Mm-hmm. 
but that's being pushed much further into the future because we're able to work twice as fast. So the team's not growing as fast. Mm-hmm. And so there was a job lost, but that person never actually sat in the job. It actually never existed. Mm-hmm. It was never even opened. So is that worrying then that the amount of jobs, forget people getting fired, but people maybe in university or in school right now that are going to come into the job market in three to four years, it, would it be a case that the total volume of jobs globally decreases? Maybe, or maybe it's the total volume of businesses increases. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is something, uh, this is something that uh, is very topical, especially in like the venture capital community, which is a company previously required, I don't know, 5 million or 50 million to get funded. Now they require 500K. And so does that mean, I mean, the funds have been raised. Do they fund more companies? Could be the case that there are more businesses and therefore the, the lack of jobs gets uh, supplemented by the increase of businesses. I don't know. This is very weird. I don't think anybody really has an answer because it's also the fundamental thing is it's still unclear as to exactly what the AI will be capable of yeah. even, even six months from now. Yeah, I think it's unclear, but also it's very easy standing at where we are in the AI world to think that things will continue at this rate. And I don't just mean the advancement of technology. I mean, the impact. So maybe year on year coders and developers will be 50% more efficient, Mm -hmm. or maybe the first year you're 50% more efficient. And the second year you're 10% more efficient Mm -hmm. because it's like, and then a new coder coming into the market, who's using Copilot from day one, you you need a significant breakthrough to make them 50% more efficient than they Mm -hmm. used to be. So I don't, I don't know whether it'll continue forever or whether we'll just optimize to being 90% more efficient than we, than we were 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the last 10% is impossible because it's all human mushy stuff that cannot be automated ever. Yeah. So who knows? We always end up talking about jobs. Yeah, we do. I don't know why. Well, I mean, it was kind of relevant because we were talking about um, Constellation software and like, are they yes. in danger? I don't think they're in danger. No, I don't think they're in danger. I think they know their business very, very well and they know their portfolio companies very well. And I, I would imagine that when they diligence these companies that they buy, they would very much understand whether they are buying a business that has a commodity product or yes. whether it is a lot more sticky and it's sticky because of the relationships and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think Mark Leonard's retirement plan is secure. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they will have more software businesses that they can acquire. Yeah. Maybe this is their golden era and there are more businesses available because yes, there will, there will sprout out, um, AI competitors. Yes. But those will probably be one person businesses. And if they get some kind of distribution, those people might sell it for 60K. There's also the case that if so, just because somebody builds something doesn't mean they necessarily want to maintain it. Yeah. And so there could be a flood of opportunities for these, uh, yeah. for Constellation to buy some amazing businesses. If you're a 15 year old right now, you like coding, you're still at school and you want to make some money, go to every business in your town, offer them some software for like a thousand pounds that does everything that their spreadsheets do. Yeah. Go to GPT-4, generate all the code. You should know how to at least check the code, make sure it's working. Yeah. Deploy it on Vercel 
and either sell it to them for a thousand pounds or give it to them for free, do all the development work for free upfront because GPT-4 is going to do all of the hard work for you. And then charge them, and a, then subscri- charge them a subscription, <laughs> a subscription for yeah. the only them, <clears throat> only that software is made for them only. Yeah. Only charge them a subscription. Now from 15, they won't drop that software for years. If you charge them like 10 pounds a month, mm-hmm. do that for 10 customers, a hundred customers, however many you can find. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 50 pounds a month. That's not much for a business. No. 50 pounds a month, software that does all of their work for them, the spreadsheets they've been hating for years. Development is free, subscription service. You are having a lovely end of your teenage years. Yeah, you are. I mean, dude, that's how we came up. Like yeah. you did that, I did that. Imagine if we had access to GPT-4, how much more of it we yeah. could do. Yeah, absolutely. You know? uh, I'm getting a call. I guess that is the uh, <laughs> notification for the end of the podcast. It's, uh, that's actually uh, universal music. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That ringtone was AI generated. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I actually believe that, that that's a great idea. Um, I mean, that's what we would be doing. If we were 15 right now, that's exactly what we would be doing. And you can take that very, very far. Yeah. If you yeah. do end up doing that and you build some software uh, and you get people to use it yes. and it's useful, apply to Carter. <laughs> because, uh, you're oh, very interesting. One other tip. If you go to a business and they accept... Make sure you have the right to change the logo on the software. So if you get a yes, go to another business, their competitor maybe, yeah. sell them the same software with a different logo, and you'll have to do zero work up front. Mm-hmm. You've now doubled your money every month. Yep, exactly. You just, each new business just requires you to go into Canva for two minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's it. a brilliant maybe idea. I'm going to do it. Yeah, Watch I mean, <laughs> there are so many opportunities. If you're, if you're 15 years old and you're coming up to a summer holiday, you can make some serious bread yeah. by just getting GPT-4 to create products that you go and sell. Yeah, and as a 15-year-old, selling to businesses is one of the easiest things ever because we both, got the, we both had the uh, WizKid label yeah, on us, is. right? And everybody wants to just support the 15-year-old that wants to do amazing things in their life. I'm yeah. So, okay. So then use that to your advantage. Go to this summer, you finish school. Yeah. Go to the businesses, say my computer science teacher over the summer holidays has like bet me. I can't make money with pitch. That is a good pitch. Get them emotionally invested. Yeah. Then say, I want to make you some software for free to like hone my skills. Um, and if you like it and if it does what you want it to do, um, maybe you could pay like a monthly subscription that you can opt out of at any time. Yeah. There's no business loss because you're a teenager. Like you'll be fine yeah. if, if you lose your 10 pound a month or whatever. But I promise you, if they like it, they will continue to use it for years. Yeah, they will. Okay. That is an amazing pitch. Let me tweak it a little bit. Okay. And say, <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've been feeling a little bit down. Um, my dream is to, is to make amazing products and, and, and write code. It's, it's all I do in my spare time. But my teacher said that I'm probably not good enough to do this and I should pursue other things. I'd really like to prove him and my other teachers wrong and I want to make something. Can I make something for you? Everybody's going to say yes. Like, everybody is going to say yes. Yeah. Say that, you'll close that business, get GPT-4 to write it, and, and, then, you're, and then you're away. And one other thing, film it. 
film the process and put it on YouTube. Right now, there is nothing more important for us than seeing somebody do stuff. Like when we're looking at potential uh, candidates to hire, yes. we don't care about the uni, the A-levels, the GCSEs, the academia, the, the, the let's not even talk about DOV and, and any mm. of these like extracurricular things that you were sold. All we want to see is, were you messing around with a Raspberry Pi yes. when you were like 13 years old? Or even, even if it's not um, a technical role, if it's, we've also been uh, looking at video editors. Have you created random Minecraft videos on YouTube of you and your friends just having fun and swearing at each other? That is so much more, uh, that's so much more of a compelling reason to hire yeah. somebody because they want to do the thing anyway. You're just going to pay them to do it. So if you're going to do this this summer, film it. Put it online. Yeah. It'd be a really great send idea. Send it to us. Yeah, and send it to us. Might get an internship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with so that... into GPT-4 every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And with that, this has been episode five of the GPT podcast. Cheers to an Cheers. amazing episode. Oh, this is not tea. It's not tea. That's fine. Uh, if you want to speak to us, you can speak to us directly, to be honest. We're active in our Discord community. There is a link down below to go and access that. Otherwise, see you next episode. See you next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.